Good morning and welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart on News Talk 1400 WDWS. For over 60 years, East Central Illinois' daily gathering spot for conversation, dialogue, and ideas. You can join in on the phone, online, or via a text. Our phone number is 217-356-9397. Email talk at WDWS.com or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Now, here's Brian Barnhart. And good morning, everybody, as we head for the end of October. That'll be tomorrow, Halloween. We're on October 30th today on this Tuesday. Glad you're with us, wherever you might be listening, however you might be listening to us today on A Penny for Your Thoughts, with you until 11 o'clock today. We'll be joined here in a couple of minutes by Justice Robert Steigman. We have a busy week for you as we head for the midterms, a week out from the midterm elections. Coming up November 6th, we've got uh, Dan Walsh, the retiring sheriff, tomorrow. We've got Julia Reitz on uh, Thursday and, of course, getting ready for Illini Friday uh, heading into the weekend. Next week we'll have uh, coverage on Election Day itself as uh, the vote takes place officially. Of course, a lot of you voted early already. And then uh, the day after the election we'll have Jim Dye and also uh, Brian Gaines from over at the University of Illinois to analyze all the results. So we've got some busy times ahead here on Penny for Your Thoughts. Lots to talk about today. Of course, the uh, president's on his way to Pittsburgh today. The uh, massacre that took place there at the synagogue in uh, Pittsburgh, he's going to visit some families there. Also sending 5,200 troops to the southwest border of the U.S. Got some local news with the state regulatory board set to decide on the planned sale of the Champaign County Nursing Home. Chancellor Jones talks about uh, sexual misconduct charges, uh, how they were handled on the U of I campus. Debate last night, fourth and final one for Davis and Lonergan. Hardy Nickerson resigns from the Illinois football staff. And Illini basketball, uh, men's and women's, just around the corner. Volleyball up to number four in the country, as you heard Dave Lone mention earlier. We can talk about all of that. The judge has several things on his plate as well. We'll talk to Justice Robert Steigman. Take your phone calls, emails, and texts. After this, opening timeout on Penny for Your Thoughts, straight ahead on DWS. And we're back, Penny, for your thoughts. Glad you're with us today on this Tuesday. I had a busy show yesterday with Lauren Tate. Justice Robert Steigman's been assembling all of his uh, paperwork here today, and he's set to go. Uh, I'd like to introduce our new defensive coordinator, Robert yes. Steigman. Huh? <laughs> well, I don't think we could do much worse. Uh, well, it was a sad business, Brian. And, yeah, it was uh, a tough day on Saturday. It sure was. You know, I uh, have been now 58 years sitting in the East, uh, stands at Memorial Stadium watching football, and uh, we've had a lot of good times, and there have been several bad times, but this is about as low a time as I can recall. It's very sad. Yeah, and it uh, hopefully things will turn around. We'll see what happens. Uh, Hardy Nickerson resigned yesterday. It was uh, near the end of our show. We heard about that. And then uh, Lovey Smith, who's been a defensive coordinator before in the NFL, is uh, going to kind of call the plays here defensively. So, Well, let's hope something can change yeah. and improve. Well, Illinois-Minnesota Saturday at 2.30. I know you're a volleyball uh, interest, too. Sure. Well, they had a great match the other night. They did. Yeah. It was very nice. Yeah, win at Nebraska, number four in the country. But uh, we didn't bring you here to talk sports, so we've got a stack of stuff to talk about. Uh, certainly, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, the most recent, there have been a series of big stories since we last talked, was the synagogue massacre sure. in Pittsburgh. Uh, kind of your thoughts and reflections <clears throat> on that. Yeah, it's, it's a terrible, tragic business, and uh, it's... Uh, it's awful, uh, 
we have um, manifestation of Jew hatred. Anti-Semitism is the nice word for Jew mm-hmm. hatred, but that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, uh, it's a terrible business, and uh, I have several aspects of this to talk about. Uh, but uh, one of the first, of course, is uh, how this fellow who who has consumed with Jew hatred and hated Donald Trump because he in the eyes of uh, the shooter, Robert Bowers, had surrounded himself with Jews, uh, went in to kill these people, and his motive was pretty clear, kill, I want to hear to kill all Jews. And the disgusting and disgraceful aspect of this is the uh, people, and many in the media, with deranged Trumpson syndrome are uh, blaming the president and attacking the president and uh, it's just so awful, and these people just have no shame. And it's uh, it's uh, one one of the things to think about. As for instance, there's this uh, prominent liberal liberal journal, journalist, Julia Offey, who has worked for the Atlantic Monthly and New Yorker magazines. Within hours of the shooting, the terrible tragedy at the mm-hmm. uh, synagogue, wrote this. And a word to my fellow American Jews. The president makes this possible, here, where you live. I hope the embassy move over there where you don't live was worth it. Mm. Now, that that was her take on it. Now, I I should say I'm particularly sensitive to this because I'm an American Jew. And this is what this woman is Mm. saying to show you how nonsensical this is and how the Trump derangement system has totally warped her mind. It's as if Robert Bowers, the shooter, was thinking... You know, Trump's moved the embassy to Jerusalem. Now's the time. Because of that, I'm going to go out and have to mm. kill these Jews worshiping at the synagogue on a Saturday morning. And, of course, you you have to be deranged to think such a thought, as if this had anything to do with anything. And to attack Trump on this uh, for anti-Semitism, you know, um, his daughter, Ivanka, one of his closest advisors, is married to Jared Kushner, another one of his closest advisors. Kushner is an Orthodox Jew. Ivanka converted to Judaism many years ago when she married Kushner, and they're raising their three kids, Trump's three grandchildren, three of his grandchildren, as Jews. Hmm. And uh, <clears throat> yet they're accusing Trump of... Uh, somehow being a cause of this, it's it's disgusting and disgraceful. And if these people had any shame, they should be shamed. Well, in this incident, uh, no matter who it is, it's tragic. But uh, anti-Semitism, of course, has a long, long history. Oh yes, deep history. Then, obviously, most of us that grew up of a certain age are familiar with World War II and everything that happened there. But there, it goes back. Well before that and long past that, too. Well, let me mention one other thing about this. Uh, when talking about anti-Semitism, Jew hatred. Let's, mm. let's be clear. We don't, mm. don't, don't have to clean it up. Uh, the uh, modern-day American who is the most outspoken uh, Jew hater with a form is Louis Farrakhan. Mm. And he has been uh, espousing Jew hatred for years. So here's some little background on uh, the attitude about Jew hatred. Aretha Franklin died and had a funeral two months ago. At the funeral on the dais were Bill Clinton, uh, Jesse Jackson, L. Sharpton, and Louis Farrakhan. Hmm. And uh, Louis Farrakhan... Uh, 
This is a guy who a few months before that had uh, said, Jews are responsible for all this filth and degenerate behavior that Hollywood is putting out, turning men into women and women to men. White folks are going down and Satan is going down. And Farrakhan, or God grace, has pulled the cover off that satanic Jew. I'm going to say here to say your time is up. Your word is through. And, of course, Bill Clinton shook his hand. And Andrea Mitchell, just to put in one more bit of context, sure. Andrea Mitchell, who is the embodiment of the mainstream media, right? She's NBC for decades. Um, this is what she said about that. It's, it's interesting. This is a quote here. It's interesting to see the panoply of civil rights leaders. See, Farrakhan is a civil rights leader. By the way, just as recently as a few days ago, when he was asked, are you anti-Semitic? He said, no, with a snicker. I'm just anti-termite, which is... Mm. how he refers to yeah. uh, us Jews. So um, she added that uh, it's interesting to see the panoply of civil rights leaders, and she cited it as evidence of an inclusive group being on stage. Now, let's imagine for a moment that there was some prominent country Western singer everyone knew and loved and died. And we have a funeral for him, and George W. Bush who was a country western fan shows up as his funeral and there's David Duke on the stage and George W. Bush shakes his hand and you suppose Andrea Mitchell referred to this as a sign of an inclusive group and in fact what's the difference between Farrakhan and David Duke is Farrakhan is the most prominent Jew hater and most outspoken and has been for years whereas David Duke is kind of a joke he has no following. He has no influence of any kind. Farrakhan is still the leader of this group. One last thing to mention on all this. As Alan Dershowitz pointed out, uh, the Congressional Black Caucus has embraced Louis Farrakhan and has continued to do so. And uh, he visited with them, and a picture was taken of the Congressional Black Caucus with visiting with Louis Farrakhan and having all smiles and hugs, Maxine Walters and Danny Davis, a congressman from Illinois, and one other person who was present was then Senator Barack Obama. Hmm. Uh, all smiles with uh, him. And Alan Dershowitz, uh, this picture was kept hidden, by the way, until Obama left office. Alan Dershowitz said... Um, uh, that if I had known that uh, Barack Obama was part of this and taking a picture with him, he never would have campaigned or supported for um, uh, Barack Obama, uh, given that uh, at the time this picture was taken, according to Dershowitz, and it's true, Farrakhan had called Judaism a gutter religion. And... Um, you know, just hmm. to put this in context, where is this Jew hatred coming from? It's hardly coming from Donald Trump. Indeed, no reasonable person could make this claim. We see where it's coming from. Yet the mainstream media, people like Andre Mitchell, are somehow reaching to attribute this blame to Donald Trump because they're become deranged by their hatred. All right, those are some opening comments here by uh, Judge Robert Steigman. Justice Steigman will be with us both hours here today, 919-356-9397. We'll talk about a lot of the big topics of the day. Of course, immigration's a big one as well. We'll get into that. And if there's some questions you have, or maybe not even politically related to other law questions, you can certainly do those as well. Let's go to the uh, phones to John. Hi, John, how are you? 
Hey, good morning, Brian. Good morning, good morning, Your Honor. Good morning. I need to ask a question. Within the writing of the Constitution in the 14th Amendment, does the president have the authority to change that without the act of Congress? It's an excellent question. I see where he is talking about it. I know some other people have talked about it. <clears throat> I My firm answer is, I don't know. See, that's why God invented briefing to courts. Uh, uh, that's our little joke, of course, because uh, when things, uh, legal issues come up, and I'm going to have uh, uh, oral arguments in just a few weeks, we get the benefit of briefs from both sides uh, arguing this point, and uh, it's an interesting one, and uh, this is a matter about which uh, I understand there's some a serious disagreement. It would have to go back to the fundamental meaning of the 14th Amendment and all that, and it may well be that uh, the uh, courts ultimately will conclude after it's been fully briefed and argued that he does not. So I, I just don't know. It's an excellent question. We'll be see- hearing more discussion about it. Uh, the only thing I would caution you is any supposed legal scholar who purports to give you an opinion off the top of his head, it's uh, probably just more a reflection of his political bias than legal analysis. Well, now, the reason why I ask that question, uh, when you're a foreigner and you come to this country and have a baby, uh, that baby's an American citizen. By changing the amendment, that means that baby's not an American citizen. Because now, there's been total proof that he has Russian women in Florida. They're having babies here, $50,000 a pop, and they're living in Trump Towers. Now, if you're going to change the Fourth Amendment, it should be changed for everyone. Well, you can't change the 14th Amendment by an executive order. It's the 14th Amendment that has the language uh, you're referring to. And uh, we do have, uh, I think it's tourist birth or whatever it's called, uh, where uh, a lot of uh, wealthy people, I, this has been a thing coming from China now for some time. I read about it not too long ago. Uh, uh, we'll... Uh, come to the United States, uh, and these are some wealthy people who uh, will be here for the sole purpose of being able to have their uh, babies born in the U.S. and then to become American citizens. I learned something this morning I did not know. Apparently, there were other nations who had this uh, automatic birthright that if you're born in this in, a, in their country. Uh, you're automatically a citizen no matter uh, who your parents were or even if they were illegal immigrants. Apparently, there are five nations in the world who have canceled this, including Ireland, France, Australia, and a couple others. Uh, but we have a, to the extent the U.S. Constitution is the basis of a claim that someone has birthright citizenship, uh, whether uh, the parent is an illegal immigrant or whomever, uh, I if we're going to change it uh, and uh, the Constitution gives them this right, we'll have to amend the Constitution. We just can't do it. Uh, Say executive order. You can't just do that. Right. right? You couldn't do it by exe- – nor yeah. could you do it even by legislation, Brian. So it it would be – I think the reason the president is thinking, can I do this by executive order, is because he realizes that there's – Almost zero chance, probably zero chance of amending the 14th Amendment and not much more chance of trying to get something through Congress. All right. Hey, John, thank you. Okay. Appreciate it. Got to move to our uh, next caller. Let's go to uh, Jim. Good morning, Jim. Yes, good morning, Justice Ann Brown. Good morning. Uh, Hey, I I got a uh, comment here, and 
uh, is this, what I'm going to say is exactly the truth. I've called Durban and Duxworth both at several times about this caravan, and they are ducking this thing like you wouldn't believe. And then finally, they would, they would lie to you, the staff members. I mean, this is not the, the senators themselves, but their staff. They say, well, we, uh, we can't uh, speak for the, you know, the senators, but you can go to the website. Well, we go to the website, and they are, they is absolutely, absolutely nothing about this caravan. And these Democrats are ducking this. They do not want to talk about it. And I just, I'm going to just say all you Democrats out there in Radio Land, here's Durbin's number, 202-224-2152. And I want you people to call him and see if you can get any kind of an answer about this caravan. And I want you to call Senator Duxworth, 202-224-2854, and see if you can get anything for them to say it. They, they'll they tell you to go to the website. Well, I did, and there's nothing. They will not say a word about this caravan. But, boy, I'll tell you what, I get this. They have not released a statement on mm-hmm. that. Boy, there's anything else, health care or anything, you will get a, an answer within seconds yeah. as soon as you answered or asked that question. All right. So, Thank you, Jim. Uh, we'll let the judge answer that, okay? Okay. Thank you, sir. It. Appreciate Thank it. You. Yep. Jim's exactly right. As a matter of fact, one of the notes I brought for the discussion today is how the news media, both locally and nationally, is not doing its job of informing us of the positions of candidates on important issues. Uh, just this uh, last weekend, uh, Tom Kasich is supposed to be covering uh, political stuff, uh, our local race, for instance, and other matters. I had a big story about the race between Londrigan and Davis, but it was horse race stuff. Who's getting money and what polls say and, uh, how b- the, the number one issue for a lot of people is immigration. And here are three questions good media reporting would pursue with Davis and Betsy Dirksen Londrigan. One, do you believe this country should have any rules regarding who may come in? Two, if the answer to that question is yes, do you believe the rules should be enforced? And three, if the caravan can, containing many thousands of people reach the U.S. border, what action do you think the U.S. should take regarding them? Now, by the way, pausing right there, I don't know what Betsy Dirksen Landrigan's answers would be to mm-hmm. any of those three. I guess, but I'm not sure what Davis's answer would be. How is it? A week before the election, we don't know these answers. And the reason we don't is Tom Kasich article is on horse race. Who's in the lead and who's getting money from what group? I don't care. You know, to be an informed member of the public, the news media should be asking these difficult questions. Poor Jim shouldn't have to be calling these offices. You know, it, it ought to be, and, and what's Durbin's position? What's Duckworth's position? I mean, our Illinois people... The news media is ducking this. They're not pursuing it. On national media, you don't see people saying, so Senator Schumer or anybody else, if this caravan reaches the border, what do you think the U.S. government should do? One of the uh, experts, and we'll get to uh, Laura here in just a moment, uh, one of the experts, uh, Jorge Shabbat, is an expert on U.S.-Mexican relations in the University of Guadalajara. 
He said the pressure, there was pressure from Trump uh, to return the migrants, he said. But how do you do that with the thousands that have crossed without having an incident where somebody could get killed? Talking about all this 7,000 that are coming. On the other hand, if you let them all in, then tomorrow you'll have four more caravans. Well, is that what they're proposing? We should let all these people in? I I don't know if anybody said. Well, you know, know, that's exactly right. We don't know. And, of course, my position is, no, we we can't let people in. And most of these people, of course, by the way, they say, well, you know, there's no jobs and living in my country is bad. Well, that's true. Here's the point, Brian. There are 314 million Americans. There are 7 billion people in the world. Who doesn't want to get to this country? I mean, there are 100 million Nigerians who are in desperate shape, who would come here in a heartbeat if they could. And, you know, are we supposed to take everybody in? Yeah. And well, this this whole migrant caravan has forced the issue yes. to the front of what do you want as a country? Do you want, right, it, a border? And do you want to process people through and make sure those who, you know, can get here for legitimate reasons? Or just reasons, say, don't come. Or just say, or... We're or, not going to let you in. Or, I mean... Or just let, let people in. Yeah, I mean, you can go to an American consulate and apply if you're a real refugee seeking... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, what what does that mean? If the Jews in the 1930s were real refugees, yeah. they could they could make a case we're going to be killed and the American government didn't let them in. But that's, that's really unusual. Or we have people like the Christians who are being killed by ISIS. All of those people in Iraq could let those people in because you know they are, if someone is being killed because of his immutable characteristics, because of a race or religion or something like that, they ought to let you in. All right, let's go to Laura here, then a break, and then the news. Hi, Laura. Hi. Hi, how are you? Pretty good, thanks. I have a question for the judge. Okay. Um, I've been hearing that some judicial candidates believe that women should be put on the bench because they bring balance and understanding to the court or because they can help more people as a judge. What do you think of these, these reasons for electing a judge? That would require a long answer, Brian. I'm ready to answer, but I... I you want to I, do it after the news? Yeah, I okay. think that might be best. Okay. Well, why don't you keep listening, Laura? We'll answer that right after the news, okay? Thanks. Will that work? Thank you. All right. Let's take a break, then the news, and then we'll get that answer. More calls straight ahead and emails and texts. They're pouring in back after this. Hey, Woods Basement Systems began in 1986, founded by Rick and Anna Lee Woods. Today, they're one of the largest foundation repair and waterproofing contractors in the state of Illinois and neighboring Missouri, serving both residential and commercial clients. They've established a great track record of quality service. Woods Basement Systems won several awards. They've been awarded the Central Illinois Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business integrity not once, not twice, but three times. But awards only begin to tell the story. Woods Basement Systems also leading the industry in innovation and expertise. It's been more than 25 years. It's been longer than that. It's been 30 years since the company was founded in the Woods home today with a 16,000-square-foot facility, 20-acre property for our production teams. They are waiting for your contact to help you out with all things basement-y, whether it's wall cracks or basement issues, flooding in your basement, uh, anything like that. Those problems do not go away. They only get worse, and they steal value from your home. Give them a call, 888-935-4333, or go to woodsbasementsystems.com. We're here with Justice Robert Steigman, 
on Penny for your thoughts. We had a uh, caller right before the news asking about women running for the judiciary and their perspective, I guess, on, on that. Well, so. yes, the, the question is uh, <clears throat> about uh, advertising uh, that the job of judges, apparently the argument is to help people and bring understanding to the bench. <clears throat> this is something that <clears throat> I've dealt with a lot. I just had my, believe it or not, 50th uh, reunion for graduating from law school. Mm. I'm now in my 42nd year as a judge, and I've been involved in this stuff and given a lot of thought. And uh, I just strongly disagree. It is not the job of judges to help people or to bring understanding to the bench. And uh, I don't even know what that means. So for, as a, for instance, uh, when you talk about job of judges to help people, does this mean that the judge is supposed to decide who is nicer or is more deserving or maybe who is richer or poor in a given case? Uh, that's not what we do. Uh, judges are not supposed to be doing that. Judges are supposed to be uh, fair to all litigants, regardless of who they are. It might be uh, Bill Gates suing you for not paying a debt you owe to Microsoft. He's one of the richest men in the world. You're not, Brian. And uh, does that mean that he should lose? Well, no, that's not how law works. Uh, judges are supposed to be fair to all litigants regardless of who they are. And when I say regardless of who they are, that means regardless of their race, regardless of their sex, regardless of their religion, etc. It doesn't make any difference. Judges are supposed to first determine the facts, if there's no jury involved, uh, in a good faith effort to determine who's telling the truth, what you believe, and, how, and uh, whom to believe. And then Apply the law as best you can. Sometimes the law is not all that clear. That's why God invented appellate courts, after all, that's I'm on. <laughs> but uh, do it the best you can. And the, the notion that um, uh, somehow women do this process differently is something I missed. And I've worked with several, it's my privilege to work with mm. several uh, terrific women judges. I'm thinking of like Rita Garman. And, Rita uh, Garman, Sue Myerscough is now mm -hmm. on the federal bench, mm -hmm. uh, Carol Pope, and now Lisa Holder-White. Carol just retired a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I've been, for instance, a panel when the panel was two other women, two women and me. And <clears throat> the notion that somehow the result is going to be different because of their sex is just not true. One, one other thing that's bothersome about this, uh, I remember when in 1990, I was involved in the selection of an associate judge to fill vacancy, and there were only four of us involved, and one of the applicants was the then public defender, Ann Einhorn, and we selected her. And I remember talking to a bunch of lawyers, including a bunch of liberal lawyers, who said, well, you know, Stogman, you had to do that. That was the pressure. I said, what do you mean? Well, she was a woman. You had to choose the woman. I said, no, well, we really, that's not what happened. By the way, I'm one of four people, see, and I'm telling them this. That's not what happened. And they said, oh, no, we know what really happened. You had to just pick the woman. And I paused. I said, stop and think for a minute what you're saying. By telling me that we circuit judges and choosing the associate had to pick the woman, the woman, who the female applicant, you're denying Anne Einhorn her right to have been, in our judgment, the best qualified applicant for this position. You're just saying perhaps she was the best qualified female applicant, but not the best qualified applicant. And they just looked at me and shrugged like, what are you talking that about? That would be degrading to her. Yes, her of interview. course. Yeah. That's one of the insidious things about this whole business of identity politics. You choose the best qualified person based upon these traits we've talked about, experience, training, temperament, 
Uh, sometimes judges don't have good temperament on the bench, and that could be male or female. That's what you want to gauge. The business about uh, the job of a judge to help people, that's not the job of a judge. Justice Robert Steigman with us, both hours, 947 here at Penny for Your Thoughts. Lots of uh, questions have come in on the 14th Amendment. I can just read a couple of these. There's a difference in being here legally and having a baby and sneaking in illegally for the sole purpose of having an anchor baby. Probably won't change. That's from Bill. Uh, also, uh, so what happened to, in an email here, so what happened to citizenship for babies born before the 14th Amendment came to be? If their parents came over from, say, Germany, what citizenship were the babies considered to have? Uh, and also regarding the call to the senators, I've called senators' offices many times and used usually get he or she does not have a stance on that yet, talking about the uh, caravans. So. Well, one important thing to put the 14th Amendment in context, <clears throat> this was the uh, so one of the so-called uh, Civil War amendments, mm-hmm. like the 13th Ending Slavery by Constitutional Amendment. The 14th was primarily designed to make sure that the states could not deprive black children and black people of their citizenship rights, which, of course, many of the states did. Nathan Bedford Forrest, I think, who is the founder of the Ku Klux Klan, and by the way, a member of the Democratic National Convention in 1868, uh, they tried, and that's what the Ku Klux Klan was all about, to try to subjugate uh, black folks. Uh, and that's also, by the way, one of the where uh, uh, the first calls to disarm people. You know, we can't have guns. We don't want these black folks having guns. So in context, that's what this was all about. Um, what does it mean 160 years later? Well, that's why the courts have to analyze this stuff and put it in context and try to figure it out. All right, three five six nine three nine seven. Let's go to Anna Wall. Hey, Anna Wall, how are you? Well, I'm fine, and I'm good. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to say what I'm about to say. I am very hurt by what happened in the Jewish synagogue because Jews, and this is what I want to tell if you let me do it, have really uh, positively impacted my life and helped me to make something out of myself. Because when I came up here to go to school on the GI Bill of Rights, Going out there to university was like pouring water on a duck's back. I could care less what they were about to say and flunked out. But I was given a job because I've always had a work ethic, working for a Jewish family here in Champaign, Illinois, who was so kind to me. And I won't go into all the details, but they reactivated my appetite for education because my parents wanted me to come up here and get an education and what they would say, be somebody. Hmm. Well, I reapplied. Actually, I worked for a Jewish family here in Champaign. And then they motivated me to reapply for an education, I mean, for admission to U of I. And fortunately, I was accepted. I'll never forget having a teacher who walked in the classroom one day and looked down on me. And this is what he said. 
the problem with some Negroes is they don't want to raise their levels of aspirations. Well, not knowing what that meant, a Jewish classmate explained it to me. Well, to make the long story short, it motivated me into studying and getting three degrees, a double master's and a bachelor's. Mm. And during that time, I was fortunate enough to find my second husband. Mm. And when I started housekeeping, the first thing I did was to invite that Jewish family to my home where we left about the atrocities and things that happened in the classroom. Mm, so when I heard about what happened yesterday, I was very hurt. Yeah. And I want to extend my deepest sympathy to all the Jewish family who might be affected. All right. Thank and you, Anna thank Wall. You. Thank you very much. Those, those are great stories. She, she's that. achieved an awful lot in her life, mm-hmm. and one of her great graces is uh, her continuing gratitude decades later for people who reached out and helped her. And it's, it's, it's really uh, uh, something we could all learn from Anna Wall to uh, be grat- the, the sense of gratitude. All right, let's go uh, back to the phones here at 9.52. Hi, John. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, you can hear me? Oh, sure. Okay. I just had a question. I, I live in a rural area with my wife. Uh, we have no children, and uh, uh, I have several guns in the house and garage, and they are unsecured but unloaded, and I am concerned wondering if I have a liability if one, some kid comes into the house and gets a hold of a gun or some ammunition or something and does something or hurts themselves, am I liable? Probably not, but it would depend upon the circumstances. Uh, <clears throat> there is a provision <clears throat> under um, the law where if uh, there's a loaded gun in the house and you are uh, having children around, I think, defined as under 16, but I'm not sure. Uh, not only uh, there's some civil liability, but there might even be criminal liability. So you have to keep your guns locked away and not accessible. Well, but if uh, there if there are no children, children around, then it's <clears throat> then it's a question of, um, <clears throat> there's certainly, I don't think, any criminal liability. There's always a question of some civil liability where you negligent in having guns where they could be stolen. But it seems to me that's a that would be a hard case to make. I don't recall seeing any uh, factual situation like that uh, being litigated where it's even been challenged that someone who um, was burglarized and had his gun stolen and was then used unlawfully by somebody else uh, was civilly liable. It's possible, but I, mean, I don't it, recall it. It could be extended to knives and scissors. And well, sure. Hammers. Yeah, but there seems to be a bias in the courts against guns, which is something that uh, uh, the recent yeah. decisions by the Supreme Court uh, concerning the Second Amendment might undo. All right. Okay. All right, very good. Thank, Thank you, you, John. All right, a break. Back with more with Justice Robert Steigman after this. Any of your thoughts rolling on on this Tuesday, October the 30th? Several more uh, comments coming in here for Justice Robert Stegman. We'll get to those after the news. The uh, folks at uh, 
Snooze Luxury Mattress Shop. They're located at the Country Fair Shopping Center. Mike Namoff is the man there. He's, uh, for over 30 years, been involved in many, many, many charitable projects. Got another big one coming up we can't tell you about yet, but he's working on it. It's there with uh, This Is It Furniture, Snooze Luxury Mattress Shop. First thing you'll go in, and you'll notice, is the reveal machine. It'll show you your pressure points, what kind of mattress you need. Don't go in. They will not allow you to do this anyway. Don't go in and just lay down on a mattress and say, oh, this works. No, no, no. Go to the reveal machine, find out where your pressure points are, and get the right mattress for you. And they've got a huge selection of mattresses. And, of course, a mattress change is a great thing, but even a new pillow can make a difference. Snooze with pillows for slide sleepers, back sleepers, and stomach sleepers. The Z-Zone Doe Pillow Collection, the entire wall of pillows. You'll be blown away by it's all lit up. It's got all the different kind of pillows even have travel pillows you can take advantage of, too. The great uh, bamboo bedding, French linen from flax grown in France. This is a high-end store unlike any other store you'll find around. So check it out. Snooze, luxury mattress shop with our man Mike Namoff and his team at the controls. Justice Steigman, back for hour number two after the news on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. It is 10 o'clock Central. It's the second hour of A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart on News Talk 1400 WDWS. You can reach out to us on the phone at 217-356-9397, email talk at WDWS.com, or text on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Now, here's Brian Barnhart. And we're back, Penny, for your thoughts. Hour number two on this Tuesday, a busy, busy week, a week out from the uh, midterm elections. Encourage you to get out there and vote. Of course, uh, have a week left. And then, of course, the day next Tuesday, we'll have Election Day coverage. And we'll have analysis of the election the day after, a week from Wednesday. Tomorrow, retiring Sheriff Dan Walsh of Champaign County will uh, join us on Thursday. It'll be Julia Reitz as we get ready for the weekend and, again, election coverage next week. We're at 10.13 here at DWS, visiting both hours here with Justice Robert Steigman from the Appellate Court. What's the 4th? The fourth, fourth District Appellate fourth, fourth Court. 4th District Appellate Court, for people that don't know. And, of course, many, many years in Champaign County. It's located in – the court is in Springfield. My office is in Champaign County, mm-hmm. and I've been able to be here for many years. Mm-hmm. And we've had you on the radio. Jim did for many, many years, of course. And My 37th, I think. 37th? Yeah, I think I have the indoor record. <laughs> I think you do. All right, so a lot on the 14th Amendment today. I uh, went and printed the 14th Amendment just to read it. Uh, All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. That's the 14th Amendment and was uh, ratified in 1868. Yes. From what I understand. So. 67 or 68, yeah, but right. maybe we proposed in 67. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the key, uh, for purposes of uh, this issue, it's subject to the jurisdiction thereof. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And one of the important concepts of construing uh, any written document, statutes, a constitution, a deed, a contract, whatever, is uh, courts should do so in an effort not to disregard any language. So, subject to the jurisdiction thereof, talks about the birthright, 
What does that mean? What did it mean then? And of course, this all deals with the question of those people who believe in the, quote, living constitution, unquote, which don't include me, by the way. Uh, uh, maybe in this is an instance where if the constitution is a living document and it's capable of being adjusted to meet modern day needs, this is one where Trump could say, hey, I like that idea. We're going to adjust it. They talked about it on the CBS News. We'll talk about it more in our newsroom, of course. The uh, one other note, and then the judge has something more on the synagogue shooting. I want to get to that and your calls. Fourteenth Amendment was intended to apply to those born in the U.S. and subjects to its jurisdiction as a sovereign nation. My guess would be it was never intended to apply to citizens of other sovereign nations. As an aside, not being born in the U.S., Ted Cruz and John McCain never should have been able to run, not being natural-born citizens. McCain, I think, was born down in Panama at the, right. the base, and uh, Ted Cruz was actually born in Canada. Well, I uh, think we, that's you – know, what about uh, American diplomats uh, overseas who have children? Are they uh, uh, natural-born citizens? And I think Congress has addressed that. That's mm-hmm. And military personnel, for instance, like John McCain, Congress has addressed that and uh, – uh, they said yes, and uh, can they do that consistent with the 14th Amendment? I would think so, but as I say, this is an area that really needs careful study and analysis and briefing, and we'll see where we go. All right, you wanted a, a quick thought on the yes. synagogue shooting. Uh, yeah, what, the, an important aspect of the synagogue shooting is that uh, the synagogue was a gun-free zone. So how did the shooting happen, after all? Well, this is a term I like to use. I picked up from my daughter, and I think she's exactly right. It's called magical thinking. It's as if, for instance, you're running a convenience store, and uh, you put up a sign that says, no guns allowed. See, So if someone wants to come in and rob it, and he's going to stick a gun in your face and hold you up, he's first going to see that sign on the door and say, well, I was going to go in and rob Brian Barnhart over the counter, but I can't do that because, see, there's this sign that says no guns allowed. Does that make any sense? I, I su- suggest not. It's magical thinking that thinks somehow this is going to work. <clears throat> this is particularly significant for me because I just completed my concealed carry course. Uh, I'm going to be a concealed carry license holder in the not-too-distant future. And I was thinking about where is there in Champaign County that I might feel more comfortable if I actually had a concealed handgun, let's say, on my person. And not many places that I would feel need, but there is one, Sinai Temple. I'm a member of Sinai Temple. Mm. And I had this conversation, by the way, before Saturday when the shooting occurred. And the law in Illinois says it doesn't prohibit carrying a gun into a church or synagogue or any other place for uh, worship, but uh, it does permit uh, the temple or church to put up a sign that says, this is a gun-free zone. You know, you've seen the picture Mm -hmm. of the gun and the slash through. Mm -hmm. And if they do that, then under the law, you can't bring a gun in. So my question is, and something I will be raising with uh, the people at Sonic Temple in the not-distant future, what is the purpose of this? Uh, isn't this a situation here in Sinai Temple and other places where we're engaging in magical thinking, where we're thinking, you know, like Bowers, the shooter in Pittsburgh, that they would have a similar sign because that's how it works. You know, you can't enter with guns. Somehow that didn't deter him. He was intent on entering and killing Jews. That was his stated motive, as he did as he was doing it. The point being, 
it's it's silly. It's magical thinking. We ought to be better than this. Uh, and in churches, and, and a lot of churches throughout the nation now, because of church shooting, there was a, a uh, mosque shooting in Quebec. That when people gather for religious services, are you really concerned that the uh, parishioners are going to pull out a gun and start shooting. Of course, I had one jokester who said, well, given the nature of the sermons, maybe that's why they don't want people armed. But that's supposed to be a joke, okay? Uh, the point being, you, uh, Bob Stogman, if I have a concealed weapon at Sinai Temple, isn't a risk to anybody but a guy like Robert Bowers who comes in for shooting. One last thing on this. <clears throat> the presumption of innocence is awful important. In court. Uh, I've dealt with it for 50 years, and I've been in the criminal justice system. <clears throat> there's the there's a court of public opinion, and then there's a court of law. In the court of public opinion, there's no such thing as a presumption of innocence. And you're not a bad person, Brian, if you refer to Robert Bowers as the shooter, not the suspect. And I don't know why the media doesn't seem to understand this. There might be instances where we're not sure if this guy is really the guy. This is not one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, yet you're going to see the media, national, and everyone talking about Bowers as the accused. Well, he isn't. He's the shooter. And you can say that without being a bad person. Now, when he gets into court, he's presumed innocent. And why is that the case? Because there are serious consequences in a courtroom. If you're convicted, indeed, this government is seeking the death penalty in this case, the law is, as we've had this discussion recently about due process and presumption of innocence in civil matter, the Kavanaugh case, it's the same thing. There are consequences. You want to presume people innocent, but in the court of public opinion, the media, discussions, you're not a bad person if you say he's the shooter and, you know, how is he going to be dealt with? Three five six nine three nine seven. Our lines are full. Things are coming in. We've got several texts as well. Let's go to Brian, who waited. Hi, Brian. Hi, guys. Hey, I don't know why anybody in the world would want to come to the United States because we are told that we are a nation of racists, we're anti-woman, we're religious bigots, and we're run by greedy, money-hungry corporatists and a bunch of intolerant white supremacists. Well, it is an interesting thing. Um, I guess that's page two. Page one is we want to want to come here because however awful we are, we're better than anywhere else. And, of course, that's the point I've been making for decades uh, and my disparagement of the people who are constantly attacking this nation, uh, that we are the fairest, freest, most inclusive, most prosperous, best nation there ever has been in the history of the world. And we Americans uh, ought to embrace that and consider ourselves to be some of the luckiest people in the world that we were born here, not in Guatemala or Honduras. Does that mean we're perfect? Does that mean we've had a perfect history? Does that mean that this nation hasn't made mistakes? Well, of course not. It's the human condition. Everyone makes mistakes. But the problem with the people who disparage the United States and do so loudly is they fail to ask this key question, compared to whom? That is, uh, before you start toting up our many failures, historical and even present day, ask uh, who's better, who's ever been better. 
Who's ever been more inclusive? I mean, this is a nation with a 12% black population. We elected a black president twice. Uh, what other nation in the world has a history of being inclusive and welcoming uh, minorities, racial minorities, as we have? And uh, you know what? the people who constantly disparage this country just have no sense, in my judgment. Our, our nation is founded, also has vehicles to change the laws, and, you know, you have, you can redress grievances and, uh, like, uh, slavery and sure. such a thing. And, uh, you know, it's the Democrats wanting to, to change the country as founded into some kind of socialist utopia with the government in charge of everything. Like Venezuela. That, right. And uh, the beauty of America is freedom. You have the freedom to go as high as you want, to be what you want to be, and, Say what you want to uh, One of the other, let me interrupt for one moment. One of the other key aspects of what makes this country so wonderful, and it's our Western tradition, is the notion of individual rights. There's no such thing as group rights. That's what's so awful about the identity politics people are trying to uh, inflict upon us. They're not group rights. They're individual rights, which means every person, every man and woman, should be judged based upon his individual characteristics and what he has individually done, and never based upon his immutable characteristics, uh, his race or uh, his ethnicity or anything else. Hey, Brian, i got to run, but thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. 1024, back with more phone calls, emails, and texts. For the judge, Justice Robert Steigman, after this. There's a place called Kokomo, that's where you want to go. That is the Beach Boys, as you know. Number one song of the country 30 years ago today. How about that? Number one song 30 years ago today. <laughs> and all the, uh, all the fury of... Uh, Heading for the midterm, some people might want to go there for for the next week. Sounds better all is the it, time. Is it over? Yes. All right. Uh, let's go back to the phones here before the news. Stan, how are you, Stan? I'm okay, but I'm a little short on time here. Go ahead. A uh, couple of things. A couple of things about magical thinking. I do have two separate thoughts about magical thinking. The first one is that. Uh, the more guns you have, the safer you are, because that's the position of the NRA and the, uh, the uh, extreme right of the Republican Party and most of the Republican elected officials, and et cetera, et cetera. The fact of the matter is, the more guns you have, the more likely you're going to die from, from a gunshot wound. Uh, if, uh, if the uh, fact of the matter is, first of all, well, not first of all, but uh, the gun right people and the extreme right of the Republican Party have made it impossible, very difficult, for any organized statistics being kept on the number and reason and cause of people dying uh, through the use of guns. Nothing uh, taking care of all different positions has been allowed because of the Republicans. Stan, you mentioned and the extreme that, right a couple of times. Is there such a thing as the extreme left? Yes. Who are they? Now I'm going to go. Now I'm going to go ahead. Okay. Uh, if you if you have a gun in your home, you're about twice as likely to die from a gunshot wound as somebody that has no guns in their home. 
They, uh, the chances of you dying from a spousal argument, a uh, accidental death, a shooting, uh, a, a suicide rather, uh, you know, those things improve exponentially when you have a gun in the hole. Does that mean I, I shouldn't have one? I, Does that mean you I don't think just, I should I, have one? What was I just saying? Well, you're saying it. my chances of getting shot are higher if I have a gun in my home. Are you then suggesting I shouldn't have one? Well, you interrupted me uh, because I was trying to finish that uh, statement. I have guns in my home, and I don't want to give up my guns, but the fact that that is just a statistical reality. If we have more guns in schools, we have more guns in churches, we have more guns here and more guns there, that increases the likelihood that somebody's going to get upset and somebody's going to pull out their gun and start doing something crazy. That's just a statistical fact that's irrefutable. Uh, the second thing on magical thinking uh, is the magical thinking of our dear Rodney Davis. Rodney Davis would like to tell you that he is in favor of uh, protecting people with pre-existing conditions, and 11 times he's voted to do away with uh, the... Uh, coverage of the Affordable Care Act, which covers people with pre-existing conditions, without a true replacement for that. Therefore, he is magically thinking that a, uh, a uh, non-binding referendum is the same as a law. That's his magical thinking. And his reason for that is because he and his wife, his wife has cancer, I'm sorry to say, but uh, they have uh, socialized medicine. And that gets her covered regardless of what happens to the Affordable Care Act or the average middle class person in the street. As long as they have their, uh, their uh, coverage for pre-existing conditions, Rodney Davis doesn't give two cents about anybody else. All right. Your hey, turn. Thank you, Stan. We'll let him respond. Go I, ahead. Well, not much to say. He, no. he, he didn't address the magical thinking I raised of trying to have a sign on the door that says, don't come in here because... Guns aren't permitted, and then people want to come in to kill people. Uh, and then a text here before the news says, The best comic strip I've ever seen featured two men, both with handkerchiefs over their faces and both holding handguns, approached the front door of a grocery store. After seeing a no-gun sticker on the door, one says to the other, Oh, great, you didn't tell me this is a no-gun zone. Now what are we going to do? That's a yeah. text on the uh, text line. That's the magical <clears throat> thinking. All right, we'll take a break and back with more with the uh, judge. May ask him what he thinks just from the broad standpoint of what's going to happen next Tuesday. Any thoughts on the House and Senate, all of that, and whatever else is on other listeners' minds. We could do all that coming up here on Pity for Your Thoughts. The news is next. Justice Robert Steigman is our guest. A week out from the midterm elections here. We'll have a lot of election coverage in and around Election Day next week. Hope you're voting or planning to. Uh, also, hope you're making a trip over to the Beef House in Covington, Indiana. They've been serving outstanding food. Steaks, of course, they're known for, but since 1964, they've become part of the fabric uh, in our part of the world by promoting and providing great food and great service. They don't just have steaks either. You can take your pick of entrees ranging from chicken to pork to pasta to seafood. If you come for lunch, make sure you take advantage of the top-notch lunch buffet. And if you want just a salad for your lunch, you can do that, too. So make sure you do that. There are menu items available for kids as well. Don't be afraid to take them along on the ride. They have a kid's menu there. They can have a great meal, too. And, of course, the Beef House Rolls, uh, very famous. They bring those to your table right when you sit down, and uh, you'll have your choice of toppings for those, the jam, 
the uh, butter, or you can eat them plain if you want, but that's your choice, apple butter too. As uh, we get uh, rolling towards the end of this calendar year, hope you'll make a trip to the Beef House, Covington, Indiana, I- I-74, just inside the Indiana state line. Say hi to Bob and Bonnie Wright, and remember, they are on Eastern Time, so keep that in mind. Three five six nine three nine seven had a text earlier said, Hello, Judge Steigman, I have an opinion question. Under current law, I understand federal death penalty sentences must be approved by the Attorney General of the United States. Do you agree with this, or maybe should we have a three- to five-judge panel decide this? I think one person with all that power might not be fair. How do state death penalty cases work? I agree with it. Uh, It's an executive function. It's not a judicial function. It's the executive branch of government, the Attorney General's uh, head of the Department of Justice and uh, under the president, and uh, having the Attorney General uh, make the ultimate calls fine. That's what the statute provides, by the way. Uh, back in the day when we had uh, the death penalty in the state of Illinois, it was the judgment of the individual state's attorneys. And I handled uh, several death penalty cases uh, during the time I was uh, a trial judge here in Champaign County. And that was when Tom DeFanis was the state's attorney, and it was his call. Again, it's an executive decision to make, the executive branch of government, and I don't think the court's... Uh, ought to be involved, and typically they are not. Those uh, death penalty cases have to weigh heavily on you as you're sure. doing them, right? I, mean, I, can't, I, impo- I, can't, I imposed I can't, it twice. I can't even imagine. I, uh, yes. I mean, it's a, that's a serious matter when it you're is. talking about someone's life. So You're exactly right. All right, let's go to uh, Danny. Good morning, Danny. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good. I have a question for the judge. Okay. Uh, and regarding governors or presidents... Pardoning people, pardoning felons, right, so they can get their uh, voting rights back and everything else that goes with it. Uh, if somebody is pardoned for a felony they committed, uh, if there's a deal had been made, is there any way to reverse that? Especially if you've got a lame duck executive. No, it's an absolute. Uh power of the executive uh, president and the federal constitution and the uh, governor and the state constitution and the, the only way to avoid it is don't elect slime balls as president or governor who are going to abuse the power okay uh what about if a layman out here could they find out what the crime was that was pardoned well, I'm not sure. Probably, in order for a pardon to be effective, uh, what the person either was convicted of or accused of has to be specified. You can't just say, I'm going to pardon Brian Barnard for all the bad things he's ever done in his whole life. Might be a big list after all. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, you have it's to. It's a boring list. Yeah, yes. you have to specify what it is we're talking about. Okay, well, it's just like uh, going to confession. I thought maybe that they didn't have to reveal what the part or what the crime was. No, I, I think they they do in order for it to be effective. Can we look it up? Well, I would think so, but uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't know where, but it's, it would have to be out there someplace. In the okay, well, pr- thank you, sir. Have a nice day. Hey, sure. thank you, Danny. Appreciate the phone call today. Great to hear from you. 
Uh, we are a week out from the midterms. Any, uh, as you, you're a political observer of these things. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? What's the end result going to be? Well, the- my my personal view is I'm very skeptical of all polls, not just from okay. 2016, but because <clears throat> um, I don't know how they can do it properly or accurately, given that very few people have landlines anymore, and people who are being called on their cell phones. <clears throat> typically don't even answer if they don't recognize who it is or if they, my wife's case, she will see a 217 and wonder who is this and mm-hmm. pick it up. And if it's not someone she knows and it's one of these calls from India or whatever, she just hangs up. So uh, I'm, how, are, how are they polling? I'm, I, as I say, I'm skeptical of that. Plus, it seems to me there's a self-selection factor, namely, who is it who chooses to speak? And when they choose to speak, are they even telling the truth? So um, I, I, I just not sure whatever the polls are, whether you like the result or you don't like the result of the polling, I just uh, I would counsel that we're in a new era. And uh, uh, we were a lot of us were very surprised. Almost everyone was very surprised in 2016. And I think uh, surprise might yeah. uh, be the case here. Well, the general talk and I read <clears throat> these things every day is that. Uh, Democrats were headed traditionally. You have a lot of the change in the second year of a president, which is historical. Uh, but also the Kavanaugh hearings sort of galvanized a lot of uh, yes. Republican voters on their behalf. And uh, now this the migrant caravan, and then all the incidents of the last week. Yes, uh, I all think, are playing into that. I yeah. think uh, that may be one of the reasons. Going back to some earlier calls, why. The Democrats, I'm talking about this caravan because this is a dangerous, scary business, and uh, they have no real answer for it. And this is uh, uh, a matter which uh, I think Trump and the Republicans are bringing to the fore because I, I agree with this aspect that motivating the base, who actually turns out to vote, is going to be very important. Though I, I confess I don't understand it. How is it that People don't vote. You know, it it could be e- – and they make it easier all the time, yeah, Brian. It's what, very easy. What's what's the issue? What is it, mm. You know, on election day, I, it's when I choose to vote. It's going to take me at my uh, precinct uh, maybe 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Once you get in, if there's yes. – you know, and, and that's why people vote early because they don't want to stand in line. And there's typically well, not much, if any, line. Mm-hmm. I, I don't recall ever having to wait more than a few minutes. So – but nonetheless, the talking heads tell us, and they're probably right about this, that motivation, who, whose base comes out and votes is important. I think the recent consensus of some of the polls that I've seen say that uh, Republicans might gain a couple of seats in the Senate, and the House is a toss-up at this point. Uh, the seats gained could be anywhere from 10 to, to 30. A couple of quick uh, things I'd yeah. like to add here, Brad, if, mm-hmm. following up on where we discuss things further. Uh, I'm talking about the news bias uh, in Picking up when I, if you recall, when Stan, as is often the case, started talking about the hard right to the extreme right, and I said, is there such a thing as the extreme left? He said, no, but he didn't identify who it is. That's because uh, they never use that term. And just from yesterday's News Gazette, talking about the Brazil presidential race, he was described, this guy, Bolsonaro, as having hard right positions. Now, I, I just want to alert the readers you know, this is the Associated Press, ask themselves, have you ever, do you ever recall reading a description of any politician anywhere as being a hard left or having hard left positions or being extreme leftists? Even communists aren't so designated. One other thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, within two hours after the shooting, 
uh, in Pittsburgh <clears throat> and uh, talking about the president coming uh, because uh, this is he thought it might be appropriate. CNN reporter asked the Tree of Life Rabbi Jeffrey Myers if the president, is Donald Trump welcome at his synagogue after Saturday's shooting? That was the question. I saw it. And uh, the president of the synagogue had the good grace to say, the president of the United States is always welcome. I am a citizen. He is my president. He is always welcome. So, CNN claims it has no bias and is just reporting the news in an even-handed fashion. Assume that these killings occurred three years ago, as they could have. This guy, this crazy Jew hater, had been out there for a long time. Uh, when Barack Obama was still president, can anyone imagine CNN asking this rabbi if President Obama was welcome at his synagogue after the shooting? Last thing I want to mention real quick. The last time I was here, we were talking about Christine Blasey Ford. And you remember mm-hmm. I mentioned about how Dick Durbin and Kamala Harris, two senators, both commended her for coming forward, pointing out that she had nothing to gain. And various commentators, including A.B. Stoddard, uh, who's one of the talking heads on TV, stated that Ford, by coming forward, had ruined her life. And what a brave thing it was. You remember I said this is nonsense on stilts, mm-hmm. uh, using the example of... Uh, Anita Hill, who went from obscurity into this uh, lionized figure, uh, movie contracts, and one of the most famous people in the country, and I said this the same thing would happen for her. Well, we now know as of yesterday, she has Christine Blasey Ford has one million dollars in a GoFundMe account that can she draw upon whenever she wishes to use in any way she wishes. So my question is, will some intrepid reporter call up Senator Durbin or Senator Harris and say, do you uh, have any further reflections about what you said about how she had nothing to gain by coming forward? And of course, the answer is no, they won't Mm -hmm. do that. All right, one more here and then a break. Uh, Karen, good morning. Good morning. Um, I have been hearing an announcement on the radio here uh, several times uh, from Sasha Green who works in the county clerk's office and apparently has had some problems with Aaron Ammons threatening her job, as she says, and some people are saying that he was calling her at home and so forth. And I don't know if Judge Stegman can answer this question, as it might appear in front of him at some point, but does Sasha Green have a legitimate lawsuit for harassment against Aaron Ammons? Well, it's an interesting question. I don't, and I appreciate your representation. This is, this is one of those things that if she were to file suit, and who knows what's going to happen, but if she were to file suit, uh, it would be in the Champaign County Court and potentially in the 4th District Appellate Court. So, uh, with my regret, because there aren't many things that I Decline to express yes. views on when she says uh, she was intimidated. This was an improper call, and Aaron Ammons did all these bad things. It's really something uh, that's out there, but it's really something upon which I ought not comment. So I'm sorry. Okay, I just don't see how they could work together very well if he is elected, and you well, know, it might but, be a little issue there. But thank you so much, Judge. Right. I appreciate it. Thank right. you so much. Thank you, Karen. Appreciate the call. Back with more Penny for your thoughts and Judge Steigman after this. 1057 Woods Basement Systems, one of our sponsors. Penny for your thoughts. Protect your home's investment. Get your free estimate from Woods and fix any basement and crawl space cracks once and for all. Cracks can be in block or poured concrete foundations. 
And they only get worse if you ignore them. They keep stealing value from your home until the cause is fixed. Over the years, Woods has acquired several awards for their basement finishing projects and their crawl space encapsulation systems, but they're the proudest of their Better Business Bureau Torch Awards. Get a free estimate today at 888-935-4333. 888-935-4333. Go to woodsbasementsystems.com. I had a texter said, can you ask the judge his thoughts on the Netflix series Making a Murderer? And uh, you don't have a whole lot on that. I right? really don't know much yeah, about okay. it. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, to Dave here in a final minute. Hi, Dave. Hello. Hey. How are you? Um, hey, I've, I've got a question about Aaron Ammons. He is a convicted felon. Is that not correct? I mean, it's in fact, right? I, I think he is uh, two, if I understand correctly, two felony convictions for which... I believe it was uh, Governor Quinn parted him in the last portion of Quinn's uh, time as governor. But just because you pardon somebody doesn't mean he's still not a convicted felon, does it? I mean, does that erase or expunge it? I think it does. I think that's the difference and between so, a commutation and a pardon. I haven't studied it, but my impression is that a pardon does that. Okay, so so he is legal to run that. Yes, I'm okay. sure that's the I, case. I just thought if you were a convicted felon, and even if you had a commutation or a, a pardon, that you were still a convicted felon. Well, uh, it's it's a technical term. You're a convicted felon, but the pardon, I think, has erased the conviction for purposes of uh, consequences, collateral consequences, like can he run for office. Yeah. Hey, uh, Dave, i got to move, but thank you. Pre- Thank you. Appreciate the phone call. Judge, leave them wanting more. Boy. We're out of time. How did that happen? It's <laughs> awful quick. All right. But a lot of fun, and after 37 years, I'm still working to get it right. Well, we'll see you again soon on WDWS. Champagne urbana the news next.